Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, before we get into this morning's message, just one more thing that I do want to call your attention to. Um, out in the lobby, we have the giving tree, and every year we do this for um, families who are in need, um, who maybe don't have the ability to provide presents for their kids or, or whatnot, um, and a Christmas meal as well. And um, usually the, it grows, <laughs> and there's um, little cardboard ornaments on there, and on the back has the uh, information about the gift. What happened is this year has been particularly, um, people have been particularly hard hit. And we just this last week had six more families added. So um, if you've already picked up one of those and done that, that's great. If you could pick up one, uh, one more. Um, my wife and I picked up an extra one this, to this, this morning. Um, and, and buy that gift. Wrap it up real nice. Use that little ornament as the gift tag and then bring it back here by next Sunday so we can distribute that. Um, the need is just great. And, and what I, one of the things I love about this church is your spirit of generosity. So if you can just reach out one more time in that way too, um, we really, really do appreciate it. So um, this morning, I want to talk a little bit about... Actually, we've been, if you, the Christmas holiday is like, any, like none other. I don't know if you've noticed... The Christmas holiday is the only one that has its own music. Have you noticed that? Nobody sings Fourth of July carols. You know, there, there's no such thing. It, just, it has its own genre of music. And, um, and, and that that's actually goes all the way back to the first Christmas. Um, last week, we looked a little bit at, at Zechariah's song. Um, when he received this um, message from the angels. Um, next week, we're going to look at the angel song to the shepherds. And this morning, we're going to look at Mary's song. Um, but before we do that, I would just like to just turn to the person next to you and tell them, because there's some really good Christmas songs and then some really, really bad ones. Okay. So turn to the person next to you and tell me what you think is the absolute worst Christmas song ever written. All right. Good. Tell somebody next to you. All right. All right. There are not that many. Nominations. What, what are some of them? Grandma got run over by his... That is the... Sick, I mean, what sick mind writes that kind of a song? It is. It's absolutely the horrible... Last service, we also had nominated the Barking Dogs Jingle Bells. That was... But yeah, there's just some really, really bad ones. Now, I don't want to end on a sour note. So there's some really good ones, too. So... Turn to the person next to you and tell them, what is your absolute favorite, favorite Christmas song? Best one in your mind, okay? Quickly. All right, nominations. Silent Night. Yeah, boy, everybody loves Silent Night. That's a good one. And it, and it is one of my favorites, too. And, and I know this is church, and I know I should be picking one that's churchier, um, but I got to tell you, one of my favorites is I'll Be Home for Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Can I hear an amen? I got it. Yeah. Um, no, because there's something about the holiday. In fact, if you think about it, there's a lot of Christmas songs about home. Home, there's just something about the Christmas season that just brings back memories of, of home and family and, and belonging and this series that we're doing this Christmas, we're calling it All I Want for Christmas. And we're talking about how in Christ, what God was doing was bringing the answer to some of our deepest, deepest longings. And one of the deepest needs and longings of human beings is that need to be loved, 
to belong, the longing to belong. And home so much evokes that idea because home is where you belong. Home is where, where you are celebrated, where you are loved, where you are cared for, where, where, where you are honored. And, and I heard a definition, Robert Frost said, home is where when you go there, they have to take you in. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good definition, but, but that's the idea. It's all about the sense of belonging. And this morning, we're going to look at Mary's story. We're continuing in Luke. And we're going to look a little bit about um, the angel's pronouncement to, to Mary and then the song that flowed out of that because I think they're very, very closely related. So if you want to follow along, we're in Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. And then if you want to skip down to verse 46... We're picking up because Mary goes and visits her, nef- her, um, her relative Elizabeth and, and is there greeted by her and actually affirmed in the message that the angel had given to Mary. And Mary breaks out in this song. And here is her song beginning in verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary's story, I think, speaks so much to this idea of belonging. And and it is one of our greatest, greatest human needs. And, And what I love about the Christmas story, what I love about the gospel is that God works on such a grand scale, but in the working on the grand scale, he also takes care of the personal human element as well. And in the way that God came to this world through Jesus Christ, it, the way that he did it is itself a message of what his coming was all about. And a big, big part of that message is finding that belonging, 
that deepest longing for belonging that we have with God. And Mary's story is a lot about that. And there are words from the angel to Mary that speak. And I think they speak. They're words that every one of us need to hear. And I think they are the words that God speaks to each and every one of us. Because when the angel speaks these words of belonging, he's speaking on behalf of God. And when God speaks these words of belonging, one of the things he says to us is you belong to him. You belong to God because of his grace. See, it always, always starts with grace with God. It always comes at his initiative. Mary is not looking for this. This this is God taking the initiative. And the wording of of her greeting, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, here's the problem we have with that. Because a lot of times we hear the word favor, and what comes to our mind is favorite. Like, like, like there's something special here, that there's something that, that she earns a special place with God. Now, there are some things about Mary that we're going to look at this morning that, that indicate why God chose her. But, but the, the word used there is not favor as in, you're my favorite, Mary, I choose you. The, the actual Greek word is charis, which is where we get our word grace. And what the angel's message to Mary is, you have been greatly graced. You have found grace with God. And that is the message. That is the Christmas marriage. That is the story of God coming to ordinary people. And you couldn't find anybody more ordinary than Mary. We don't know very much about her. All we know is that she lived in a village called Nazareth, which was an area or region called Galilee. Now, you got to understand, Galilee was not a very important part. Certainly not a very important part of Israel, a very, very unimportant part of the Roman Empire. And then in Galilee, they got their social structure too. And at the bottom of the rung in Galilee is this town called Nazareth. Now, understand, about two or three miles away, there's a town called Sephra. Sephra was considered to be the cultural hub of Galilee. It was considered to be uh, the financial hub of Galilee. I mean, if you're going to come to, Gal- to, to, to Galilee, you should at least come to Sephora. And, and it's only like two, I mean, it's, it's within spitting distance. But God chooses Nazareth. Now, you got to understand, like that is the bottom of the rung. And because and, you know this, this is true, that, that cities kind of rank themselves in importance and understanding, they kind of look down on other cities. You know, like people in Orinda, Lafayette, they kind of look down on Walnut Creek. You know, in Walnut Creek, they, they kind of look down on Concord. And Concord kind of looks down on Clayton. Clayton, they look down on Antioch. Antioch, they look down on Oakley. And Oakley, well... <laughs> Oakley's Oakley, you know. Although somebody told me actually there is. Oakley people look down on Bethel Island. Yeah. yeah so Now, if, please, if you are from Oakley or Bethel Island, please do not write me cards. I'm joking, okay? But you know it is true. We rank ourselves on our importance and our status. And there was no different in Jesus' day. And Nazareth was the Bethel Island <laughs> of its time. And that's why when... when um, when one of Jesus' disciples goes to get gets his brother, and he says, he is Jesus, of, we found the Messiah, he is Jesus of Nazareth, and the response is, Nazareth? 
Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? See, it's almost as if God is purposely choosing the most humble, humiliating place for the birth of his son. For the entrance of God into human history. It's almost as if he is purposely purposely choosing that which is at the bottom rung. And the reason for that is, is that God is saying, there is no status in my family. There's no status in my kingdom. Doesn't matter how much you make or what neighborhood and what zip code you live in. Doesn't matter how religious you are, because it's all about grace. And that is the message of Christmas. That's the message of the gospel, that it's all about grace. God chooses the most humble place. A few years ago, you may remember there was a song, Joan Osborne uh, saying it was actually quite a huge hit. What if God was one of us? Remember the song? The chorus went like this. What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home? And you kind of, you know, I first heard a song, a little cringy there with that slob part. I began to realize, you know what? There's more truth to that song than we realize. Because that's what Jesus did. He came to the most humble We don't know much about Mary, but we know she was just a poor peasant girl in a very small, insignificant town that everybody else looked down on. Something else we know about Mary, we find as we read through the the story, particularly in Luke's gospel, that Mary is a ponderer. You find this very often that Mary hears something or or something, and and it says she, she pondered these things. She treasured them in her heart. She thought about these things. She thought about her life. She thought about how God was interacting in her life. She thought about this baby, this son, this child that she was raised. And she always did it in the sense of what is God doing here? What is God doing here? The very first indication we have of this is when she gets this message in verse 29, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered. She thought... She pondered. She wondered, what is this all about? And I, and I, and I just wonder if, if those words, that announcement of the angel, if, if that declaration to her was not the words that she pondered when she made the trip to visit her relative Elizabeth. Because it was about a 10-day walking journey. And I wonder through those 10 days, she had a lot of time to do some pondering. And I wonder what she thought on that road. I think those angels' words resonated in her heart. Because, and the reason I think this is because when she gets there and she's greeted by Elizabeth and she's affirmed in what the angel has told her, this is the song. Listen to the song. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. That Mary's song is a song of everyone who will rely on God's grace. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. See, Because of God's grace, now everybody is invited. Everybody is invited. And I think 
Those words that Mary received from the angel were the words that she pondered, were the words that came out in her song and her declaration. And I think they were the words and the song that moms sing to sons as they grow up. When Mary sat little Jesus on her lap, because we don't know anything about Jesus growing up years, very, very little. But I can imagine her, him sitting on her lap and her singing this song. I can imagine him sitting with her in the kitchen, around the kitchen table, and her telling the story, telling these angels' words, singing that song. And the reason I think that is because one of Jesus' most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. See if these words don't sound familiar. Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those words resonate so much with Mary's song. And yes, he was God, and yes, he understood his mission, but I think those growing up years were so important and that God would choose this, this young peasant girl and give such a message and such a song that it would resonate in her child's heart as he grew. And when he spoke those words, Many ways he was speaking the words that God had inspired in his mom 30 years before. It's a message of grace. But understand, grace is more than just forgiveness. Grace is more than just belonging. We talk a lot about grace here because our, our whole ministry, our church is grace-based. That's been our, 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 our passion from the beginning. But I think sometimes when we talk about grace, how God did it all for us, how God did what we couldn't do for ourselves, that sometimes we hear grace and we think that means, well, God did it all, so I'll just sit back because it's his work and he did it all. And we think that grace is just about, okay, I found my place of belonging. Now I'm just going to sit here until Jesus comes back. I'm just going to sit back until because it's grace. God did it all. So I got my entry ticket to heaven. I'm good. Grace carries a responsibility. Grace is about more than just finding your place. Because in the belonging also comes with it a place in his kingdom's work. That grace isn't just, I got mine, I sit back now and just take it all in. Grace is, not only have I been accepted and not only do I belong in his family, but I belong in his work. That God is at work in this world and belonging also carries with it a belonging to that job, 
to that work. And each and every one of us in this room, not only do we belong to his family because of his grace, we belong in his work because of his grace. He has given us something to do, something of meaningful significance in the same way that Mary was given an assignment. And those words to Mary about belonging also carried with them something else. Because we belong to him, it means God will be with you no matter what he asks you to do. See, those were the words. The Lord is with you, the angel said. Do not be afraid. Now, we said last week, when angels show up, that's like their first word of greeting. Do not be afraid. Because angels are scary beings. I mean, they really are. They are powerful beings. And when people saw angels, they were afraid. So one of the first things angels always said was, don't be afraid. But often they added this part, the Lord is with you. When you see that in scripture, so often an angel shows up, do not be afraid. The Lord is with you. And that is the promise of grace as well. That not only do you belong, but God has given you something to do. And whatever it is that he's given to you, you to do, he is with you. And when Mary said those words, may it be to me, as you have said, everything changed for her. Everything. All of her hopes, all of her dreams, all of her thoughts about her future were now completely turned upside down. Best we can determine, she's probably somewhere around 15, 16 years old. Because that was about the marrying age for women. And, and so she's just a young mid-teenager. And now she's been taken on this assignment. She is going to become pregnant. And that meant shame. Not just shame to her, but shame to her family. I wonder what her parents thought when she told them that story. And she's engaged, which means it's not that she's been maybe fooling around. It's just she's been fooling around on her fiance because engagement was a really, really big deal back then, more so than even now. I mean, now engagement is planning you know, thousands of dollars worth of a celebration. <laughs> back then, it was preparing for a life together. And if you were engaged, if you were pledged, if you were betrothed, you were as good as married. And so this isn't just fooling around. This is committing adultery. And the punishment for that in the book of Leviticus is stoning. This young girl, this young woman is taking on this shame. And, and Nazareth is a small town. At this time, three, four hundred people at most. So it is for her the shame of that whole town walking around, talking behind her back. Because everybody in a small town knows everybody else in a small town. And everybody knows everybody else's business. And everybody's got an opinion. And so even, even if she got over that initial shame, even as she is raising this young child, those things that were spoken about that young Jesus as he's growing up. And, and the conversation she might have one-on-one -on -one with people in the back of her mind wondering, what does this person really think of me? All of those things she's taking on by simply saying, may it be to me, as you have said, scandal, gossip, possibly, possibly rejection even by Joseph and the end of her marriage. Said last week that one of the most shameful things for a woman in those days would be to be married and without child. And the only thing that carried more of a stigma to it, more shame to it than that, was to not be married and be with child. And that's Mary's assignment. 
That's Mary's assignment. And even in her hometown now, she doesn't really belong anymore, if you think about it. She doesn't really belong. She doesn't fit in with everybody else from here on out. And in fact, we know from the, gospel, from the uh, Christmas story that she actually spent about the t- first two to four years of her life, her married life, not belonging. They had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's where she bore her child. That's where Jesus was born. That wasn't her hometown. That was Joseph's family's hometown. That was like being with the in-laws and you don't belong with the in-laws. <laughs> And they don't even have room for you, so you're out in a cave somewhere with the animals. And then we know from the story from Matthew's gospel that when Herod found out about this king of the Jews being born, that they actually, Joseph, an angel appeared to Joseph in the dream and said, get out of town, go down to Egypt, because Herod is out to kill any child, any male born that is two years and younger. So it's not just from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's from, it's from Bethlehem all the way out to a whole other nation in Egypt. And for the first two to four years of her life, she's in a place she doesn't belong. In the first, first couple of years of her married life, in a place where she doesn't belong. And this longing for home is beaten. And I wonder, I wonder if those words didn't become words that she hung on to as she's in Bethlehem. I wonder if she didn't say to herself, is the Lord with me here? Or in Egypt, is the Lord with me here? Because when you're away from home, when you're estranged from your family, that longing becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. I remember my very first ministry assignment. I was a youth pastor um, in the Astoria, Oregon area and fresh out of college, had no money. So we rented um, a little single wide trailer in, in, a, in a trailer park that was just overgrown with big spruce trees. And it was dark and we moved there in January. So it's the middle of winter. It rained for the first two months, I think we were there. And we had one car and I took the car and I drove to the office. <laughs> And my wife sat at home in this little single wide trailer with windows that couldn't have been bigger than this, the biggest windows, in this dark, dingy area with no friends, and it rained all day long. And I remember one day coming home from the office and coming in the door, and she's sitting there in tears, and she says, I want to go home. (laughs) And being the kind, understanding, responsive husband that I am, I said... You are home. (laughs) Deal with it. (laughs) I want to be home. And I wonder if Mary didn't feel that way. This isn't home. Is the Lord with me here? Lord was with me maybe in Nazareth. Maybe, maybe in Bethlehem. But is the Lord with me in Egypt? I don't know these people. I don't speak this language. I don't belong here. Lord is with you. And some of you need to hear those words this morning. That maybe you're in a place that's far from home. Maybe you're in a place that is far from God. And I just want you to know, the Lord is with you. He wants to be with you. Those words to Mary are words that every one of us need to hear. Life was not going to be easy. It certainly didn't start out easy for her in her married life. And it was not going to get much better. 
I've reading, been reading a book called um, The Real Mary by Scott McKnight. Incredible book, just telling about Mary and, and her background and, and the historical background and all of it. But he has this line. I love this line. He says, Mary suffered for the Messiah long before the Messiah suffered for her. I love that line. This was a woman of profound, courageous faith. Was willing to take on a tough assignment. And her words of her song, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Even though it's uncomfortable for me now, even though it's not going to be easy for me from here on out, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Courageous faith. Young woman. The Lord is with you. How would she take on such an assignment? How could she give her consent? Because she knew her God. She knew her God was a merciful God, a God of grace, a God of promise. She knew that the Lord was with her. And I wonder how often she told those stories to Jesus as he was growing up. Because you find Jesus toward the end of his ministry talking to his disciples because he's about to leave them. And this is what he says to them. Remain in me as I also remain in me. Remain in you. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. I will be with you. If you will be with me, I will be with you. And you will have a place in my work. You will have a place and a work to do in my kingdom. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Those words, the Lord is with you. Lord is with you. And whatever he has assigned you to do, the Lord is with you. And because you belong to him, there's one more thing, that because you belong to him, God will provide his strength when the assignment you have seems impossible. Even though Mary has this very courageous faith, she does have her questions. She asks the angel, how will this be? Mary asks the angel, since I am a virgin. She has questions about this. Now, we looked at Zechariah's questions and Mary sound a little bit like that, but they're different. Zechariah's questions was, prove it to me. How, how, prove it to me. Her question was, how can this happen? How can this come about? Because I'm a virgin. Now, sometimes people have a hard time with this whole idea of a virgin birth idea. And, and, and people say things like, well, you know, I mean... We're so much more sophisticated now. We know so much more about the birthing process. We know about DNA. We know about genetic, but we know about all these things, you know, and, and, and you know, maybe it's just a myth that kind of grew up, you know, and, but, but we're so much more sophisticated now. Listen, folks, people back then know where babies came from. <laughs> if they didn't, you and I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I heard a story of a six-year-old girl went to his, her mother and said, um, Mommy, where do I come from? And mom's thinking, oh, man, this is the talk, and I wasn't ready for this, you know? So, so she's, you know, kind of nervous and dry mouthed and a little sweaty, but she kind of tells her a little bit about the birds and the bees and about mommies and daddies and this whole thing, and then, you know, kind of explains it a little bit. Now, now, do you understand that? And she said, no. Janie said she was from Arizona. Where am I from? <laughs> That sense of belonging. We want to know, where do we belong? Where do we belong? 
How can this happen? The answer is this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For nothing will be impossible with God. That God was about to do something he had never done before and would never do again. That he was bringing the ultimate answer. He was stepping into human history in a way that he never had before. He was about to do something incredible. And she said, how can I possibly be a part of that? As the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. If you are facing one of those hard, tough assignments right now, if you're at a point where you're thinking, I don't know how much more of this I can take, you need to hear these words. The Lord is with you. And the Holy Spirit will empower you. And the power of the Most High is available to you because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. As impossible as your assignment might be feeling right now, and you don't think you can do one more thing, nothing's impossible with God. The Lord is with you. Hear those words. You are highly favored. He's with you. And the power of the Most High will bring you through. Mary took on a key assignment. And it's been said that the work of God often comes with two edges. With great joy and with great sorrow. And that indeed was the case for Mary and would be for her whole life from here on out. But what she understood and what every one of us need to understand See, God's favor rests on you. His grace is available to you. And, and if you will accept that, he will be with you wherever you go. And no matter how hard the circumstances, how hard the assignment, his strength, his power will get you through. And when she said those words, and, and again, as Jesus is growing up in that household, and Mary tells these stories, and Jesus hears them, God is faithful. The father is faithful no matter how tough the assignment. And the mother who said, may it be to me according to your will. Not my will, but may it be to me according to your will. Had a son who grew up and some 33 years later, the last night of his life on this earth, in a garden all alone, prayed those words. Not my will but yours be done. And I wonder if he didn't just learn a little bit about that because of his mother Mary who said, may it be to me as you have spoken. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.